0: Well, it is indeed a pleasure to be back with you today. Um, We are really coming close to the end of our study in the book of Luke. And then, of course, Lord willing, we will be um, going to the book of Acts, which I'm very excited about. But in this this passage today, we're going to be on the road to Emmaus. Before we get there, I wanted to go back a little way to... Luke 19.28 Luke 19.28 says this and when he had thus spoken he went before ascending up to Jerusalem and I bring up this verse um, mainly because all the things that he's going to talk um, to the, the men on the road to Emmaus about today are a result of him going up to Jerusalem remember the disciples said don't go to Jerusalem because they will kill you which I find kind of ironic since he had said at least three times prior to his death, I'm going to Jerusalem, I will be arrested, I'll be tried by evil men, I'll be put to death, and then I will rise again on the third day. So he had already told them that this was going to happen, and they had told him not to go to Jerusalem because he would be killed, and yet he had to go because he procured... Our salvation, and so now, if you would turn to Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty-four. We're starting in verse thirteen, and um, there's there's some very interesting things about this passage, and I'm excited to dig into it with you. I found it interesting that we brought it up in the breaking of bread this morning. So obviously, God wanted our Thoughts to be focused on it, and the the first thing that I want to bring up, and the first point, as Jesus, uh, this is the first full gospel sermon in the history of mankind. Why do I say that? Because what did Paul say the gospel was? The gospel says says in in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, the gospel is this. That Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. So, in this passage, we have the risen Christ preaching all things concerning himself, from his birth, no doubt, all the way to his death, burial, and resurrection. So, in a sense, this is the first completed gospel sermon, because the work is done. The good news is we can fully appreciate it. We're not like the Old Testament saints who are looking forward. And it's amazing how many years they were looking for Jesus and yet so many missed Him. So many that should have known the truth. But for those of us that do, we can rejoice today. And last week we had Resurrection Sunday which I know we celebrate the resurrection in essence every Sunday, as was brought up during the break. But I also think it's good to have that yearly remembrance because it's a time when the world cannot ignore us. And it gives us great opportunities to share it on a grander scale. So I appreciate that. All right, so we're going to read, first of all, Verses 13 to 21. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. So, uh, from my understanding, this is about a seven-mile walk. And they thought together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these, that you have one another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be crucified, or delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside this, beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So, let's look at a few things here. First of all, we um, see that um, this immediately comes after Peter running to the tomb and stooping down and beholding that it's empty. He doesn't know what to think, and he obviously doesn't truly believe that the resurrection has occurred, because later Jesus will appear to the 11, and we'll read that they, even after they saw him, they had a hard time believing because they were afraid but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much so we see these two um, disciples um, on the road to Emmaus and they were talking together about everything that had happened I imagine they were reflecting on the previous three years at least and uh, what their perception is of what they thought Jesus would do versus what actually happened. And Jesus Himself draws near and goes with them. That's, to me, a very amazing statement. Because even today, Jesus draws near to us and walks with us. We sing, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way and that has been true in my life and I hope it's been true in yours and it says but their eyes were holding that they should not know him and I don't know why Jesus chose to do this but he also did this in the case of Mary Magdalene as we will um, read a little bit later by way of cross reference um but, right now, I want to um, look at this. It says, he drew near to them, and then he asked them a question. And he says, what manner of communications are these that you have as you walk and are sad? Which, first of all, I think it's interesting that he asks the question, because there are times of the Pharisees when he responds to their questions in their minds, with the answer, without them saying a word, because he know, knew what they were thinking, and he responded to their thoughts. But in this case, he chooses to ask questions. Why? Because he wants answers. He wants relationship with us, and he wants real answers. He ne- he, as you notice, he almost never, I guess there may be a few times, but he almost never, Jesus asks a lot of questions in the Bible but he almost never asks a yes or no question he didn't say are you sad he said why are you sad and what manner of communications are you having Because, but he knew that well, everything that they were talking about he knows everything there um, are some interpretations of the Easter story or the Passion Week where it's almost implied that Jesus did not know what was happening, that it just happened around him and he didn't know. But the Bible says that knowing all things that were to happen, he sat down with his disciples to have the last supper. He knew everything that was going to happen. None of it was beyond his purview. Yes, he asked for the cup to be removed from him, because he did not want to go through the torture of the cross, but he said, If it's your will, Lord, I will do it. And he knew that, that was what would happen. And then it says, One of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast thou not known these things which are come to pass in these days? I wonder if after he finds out the truth, if you realizes how foolish that question was. It's probably the most understated thing in the world to ask Jesus this question. Because he understands better than we will ever understand this side of glory what he went through the last three days. We talk about the physical torture of Jesus and it was great. But we don't know anything about the spiritual torture that he went through. We don't know what it really meant for him to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All we know is that he said it so that he can say to us, I will never leave you, nor forsake you." That's all we really know. And then he said, What the thing? So he wants more information. And then they... Go and they talk about their perception of Jesus of Nazareth That he was a great prophet, mighty indeed And word before God and all the people And how he was delivered to death And was crucified And how they hoped that he would be The one To deliver them But he's been dead for three days And one interesting thing I came upon is that as I was studying this passage was the fact that Cleopas is mentioned, but the name of the other disciple is not. Now, I, I read a couple different um, possibilities. One was that it possibly was Luke himself, and he didn't want to mention himself by name. And one was that it was possibly Nicodemus, Because remember, Nicodemus was one of the people that had buried Jesus after he died. He helped Joseph of Arimathea get Jesus into the tomb. He brought 500 pounds of spices. He said, I wrapped this body tight. I know that he was dead because I put him in the grave. So I kind of like the idea that perhaps it was Nicodemus or Luke. But whoever it was, it was chosen not to mention his name, but it does mention Cleopas. So we don't know why. But I just find that interesting. So basically, Jesus gets to the heart of the man. He's discerning that these people need encouragement. How often do we walk past people and we may ask them how they're doing, What do we really want to know? Or do we really perceive that they're sad? Now, myself, I get that question often because I have a really hard time withholding my emotions to my face. I'm glad that I never played poker because I would not be good at it. If I'm distressed, you'll be able to see it on my face. But I have a feeling that even if they weren't showing a sad countenance, Jesus would have known because he knows everything. And so he doesn't just walk with them and allow them to continue to converse. He asks very direct questions because he wants them to answer. And what he's doing is he's setting up this opportunity for him to show who he is. Um, if we could look at John 14, 18, and 19. John 14, 18, and 19 one of you gentlemen gets there, if you could read that for me, I'd appreciate it. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. in a little
1: while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall also live. Ye shall live
0: also. And I, I know in a broader context he's talking about his second coming that he's going to come again for us but I also think it applies to the road of Emmaus this was before he died and he said you will see me the world will not see me he didn't go before Caiaphas and say guess what Caiaphas you tried to kill me but I'm alive he didn't show up to Pilate's door and say hey Pilate you washed your hands of my death you handed me over to be crucified but here I am the people that he appeared to were people who believed him. And people that he knew would believe him. And the Bible tells us that he appeared at one time to over 500 people. Sometimes we get this narrow scope and we, we feel like there was 12 believers in this New Testament at this point. But there were more. I'm, I'm reasonably certain that Mary spent a lot of time in that upper room, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I like to think because we have mention of of uh, Rufus and Rufus' mother in the book of Romans, that perhaps Simon of Cyrene and his family were among that five hundred. That would explain why they would have joined the church in Rome. So there were more people than we often think about. And he told them, you will see me, I will come again to see you. And I think he was talking about in the broader future, but I think he was also talking to the disciples, I'm going to see you when I rise again. He said, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He was trying to comfort them, but they didn't grasp it at the time. I found this quote on discouragement, and I thought it applies to this situation for these two men on the road to Emmaus, or these two people. It says, Discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust for the future. It is ingratitude for the blessings of yesterday, indifference to the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding strength for tomorrow. It is unawareness of the presence of beauty, uncertain for the needs of our fellow men, and unbelief in the promises of old. It is impatience with time, immaturity of thought, and impoliteness to God. And that is William Ward. And if that doesn't describe these two men on the road to mass, I don't know what does. And it describes me as, well, don't get me wrong, because I've been there many times. The thing is, Jesus just doesn't leave people discouraged. He comes to them. He came to, to Thomas when Thomas was unbelieving. Made an extra trip for Thomas, in fact, because Thomas wasn't there with the other ten. And so we can trust that he... Has a plan and that He will come to us and meet us where we are, but the key thing there is that He will not leave us where we are. A lot of times people preach the Gospel and they say, come as you are. You don't need to change to come to God. And that's very true. You don't. You can't. But they they stop short of saying that change is necessary once you do come to God. Because someone that really does come to God will change. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Christ isn't interested in saving you so you can live the same life you lived before you were saved. He's interested in saving you so you can be made alive or once you are dead. And when you're alive, you don't want to be dead again. You want to live life for all that it is worth. Okay, so Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He doesn't, he's not good at water cooler talk. He doesn't do the small talk. He didn't ask them how the weather is. He didn't say, man, this road is smooth or this road is rough. He got right into what the important things were. Then our second point is Jesus preached to them all things about Himself. Now, logically speaking, as a human, I would think, well, He's going to just tell them that He's Jesus and they can rejoice in the resurrection. That seems to make sense. I mean, that's basically what He did for the eleven. But He doesn't do that here. In verse 22, and this is why I believe it was two men and not women, and not a woman with Cleopas, is because it says in verse 22, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were very early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. I'm persuaded that if there was a woman with if it was Cleophys' wife, for example, that she would have believed the women. And so, most likely, it was a man. But, um, it says, And certain of them that were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but whom they saw not. Then he said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus was not afraid to say it like it was. He called them fools. Because they were foolish to not believe the thing that he said over and over and over again. Even the women, it says when they went to the tomb and saw the empty tomb and heard the angel, it says only then, only then did they remember his words. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto, the, unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we have a situation where Jesus preaches about Himself from the Old Testament. This convicts me a lot because I, I know I need to get better at preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. But you know what? Jesus is in every book. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is made known. And we need to remember it. And I just think about the amazing things that he must have talked about on that road. And how interesting this walk must have been and how long it must have taken. If he preached to them all things from the scriptures concerning himself, we're, we're probably talking about a several hour walk and Jesus is just, just pouring out scripture after scripture and why? Because he wrote it. That's why. And um, if we can look at Acts 17, Acts 17, 2 and 3, again, if somebody gets there, they could read that for us. I'd appreciate it.
1: Preach
0: Christ. So Paul is doing the same thing that his master did, opening the Old Testament scriptures and showing who Christ is and saying he needed to suffer. See, when when Jesus said, "I'm going to suffer for you and die for your sins," what did Peter say? He said, "Far be it from you, Lord!" And then Jesus turned to him, and this is probably. Um, a few hours maybe a full day but not very much after he had just said you are the Christ the son of the living God then what does Jesus do he turns to him and says, get thee behind me Satan because Jesus would not be dissuaded from his purpose in this life Pilate said are you a king then and he said what for this purpose was I born into the world. It's good to know our purpose in the world and to do our best to live it. So, Paul carries that on. Preaching Christ. He went into the synagogues right after he was saved on the road to Damascus and started preaching Christ and then of course we read that later on he went away into the desert for approximately 3 years to learn of Christ himself and came back and began his formal ministry when he when it was said to the early church separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work unto which I have called them. What a wonderful thing only possible through the power of the resurrection and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself he didn't leave anything out what an amazing thing that is Bob Woods tells the story of a couple who took their son, Eleven, and their daughter, Seven, to call Bad caverns. As always, when the two are reached the deepest point in the cavern, the guide turned off the lights to dramatize how completely dark and silent it is below the earth's surface. The little girl, suddenly enveloped in utter darkness, was frightened and began to cry. Immediately was heard the voice of her brother, (laughs) Don't cry. Somebody here knows how
1: to turn on the light.
0: In a real sense, this is the message of the gospel. Light is available, even when the darkness seems overwhelming. I praise the Lord that even in the darkness that we are facing today, the light of the gospel is overwhelming Jesus said on this rock I will build my church and I don't believe that rock was Peter actually I believe the rock that he was building the church on was the rock of Peter's declaration that he was the Christ the son of the living God that is the foundation upon which our church is built We sing the hymn, the church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his true creation by water and the word. That's the foundation upon which his church is built. And the gates of hell, he says, shall not prevail against it. Now our final point for the morning Is he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Verse 28, And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight and they said to one another did not our hearts burn within us Well he talked with us by the way and while well, he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and then they were with him saying the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon and they told what things were done in the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread my dad studied this passage a lot last week as he preached on it in the jail and so he gave me some insight one of the interesting things, of course, I believe that eyes were were holding supernaturally. But it's also kind of interesting, my dad said that he read in a commentary that perhaps the thing that they first noticed, realizing that it was the Lord, is seeing the nail prints. As he broke the bread, seeing the nail prints in his hand. And I, I, I like that thought because one of my favorite hymns by Fanny Cosby is I shall know him I shall know him and redeemed by his side I shall stand I shall know him I shall know him by the prince of the nails in his hand. And you know the inspiration for that song was that I don't know if it was her pastor or another pastor, said to her, it's a shame, Miss Crosby, with all the gifts that God has given you for handwriting, that he didn't give you your sight. And she replied to him, the first time I see again, because she lost her sight at two years old, the first time I see again will be when I look into the face of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and it will be all worth it. I think of that myself. Because the Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've never been able to physically bow my knee. But one day, because I have bowed my knee to the Lord in salvation, one day I will physically bow my knee in heaven to declare that God has exalted Jesus, and that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I look forward to that day. And how much do you want to wager that when they rose up after Jesus disappeared, which first of all, how cool is that? Jesus disappeared from their mouth. And we know that He showed up in the upper room being locked. So, that could forecast some exciting things for our resurrected bodies. I'm just telling you right now. But, that's exciting. How much more about that the journey back from Emmaus was a lot faster than the one that they took two minutes. Their feet probably barely touched the ground. And it says they left the same hour. They didn't wait. They didn't say, because before, remember, before we knew it was Jesus, He said, the day is far spent. The with us. Implying, leave in the morning. We were well rested.
1: But all of a sudden,
0: they weren't tired anymore. They weren't thinking about their parts that day. They ran back to the disciples. And they said, the Lord is risen in Jesus. And it has appeared under Simon, and I, I, I'm not sure who Simon was, because we know that uh, Simon Peter was among the eleven that were astonished at his appearance. I'm thinking perhaps, though, I had this thought, because it said during the Passion Week that he spent time in the house of Simon the Leper. So, it's just, My speculation, intelligent guess, that perhaps it was Simon the Leper that he appeared to. We don't know. Maybe somebody has greater wisdom on that. Maybe somebody studied that. But the point is, he's starting to make appearances to his followers. To let them know, I did what I said I was going to do. I rose from the dead. You have nothing to fear. But that is one of my favorite verses. The Lord is risen indeed. And they told them what things were done in the way. And how he was made known to them in the baking of bread. And the apostles would relate to that because what did he do before he went to the cross? He broke bread. And when he watched it, he gave it to them and said, This is my body which is broken and then he passed the cup and he said this is my blood which is poured out for you as a new covenant how exciting it must have been and we will finish the chapter in June because next month is Mother's Day and I will Lord willing bring a Mother's Day message but, uh, we will be finishing Luke in June, and it's been quite the journey. I, um, added a few more sermons to my audio library on my website, so if you want to catch up there, maybe you want to review some more of this Luke, uh, material, or you just want to share it with others, I have a lot of new sermons on there in the last couple of weeks, so you can go to my website, speakingforhim.com, you can download them free of charge, and, uh, be blessed by them would be my prayer. But before we, uh, close, I just wanted to share another appearance that Jesus made by way of cross-reference, and that is John 20, 13 to 16. John 20, 13 to 16, and, um, someone, that, once again, one of the gentlemen would read that for me, I would appreciate it.
1: Why weepeth thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepeth thou? Whom seeketh thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, if thou have borne him then tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her,
0: Mary, she turned herself, and saith unto him, Shabboni, which is to say, Master. So we see in this passage, Jesus once again, taking individual attention to meet someone where they are. He knew that Mary Magdalene was hurting. She, one way or another, I don't um, really know exactly how all these tomb visits line up, but one way or another, she's either back at the tomb, still confused, or she is at the tomb by herself before or after the other women. I don't know which. All I know is she's there by herself. She doesn't know what happened to the body of the Lord. She thinks someone took it, which is ironic that, that that's the case because what did the Romans want the soldiers to say that regarding the tomb? Say that the disciples stole the body while you were sleeping and will secure you. Do you ever realize they never refuted, they never directly refuted the resurrection. They never said the resurrection did not happen. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, the religious leaders had more faith in the resurrection than the disciples. Because remember what they said to Pilate? They said, we need you to guard the tomb. Why did they say that? Because he said the third day he would rise again. So here are these religious leaders that hated him, But they remember him talking about the resurrection and the disciples are all confused and worried and don't know what's going on even though he told them. And yet it was the disciples that ultimately grasped the truth because it's not enough to know about him. You have to know him. Paul says, this is my ambition, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know you and your only son whom you have sent. Some people say we we hope that we get into Zion or heaven. I kind of didn't like the last verse of that psalm we read that it kind of implied that there was some unsurety there. If I get to save your if of Zion City, I through grace, remember him? Well, John said he wrote his gospel that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to doubt, you don't have to wonder, you may know. What an amazing, amazing comfort that is. I don't live in fear for my ultimate destiny. Doesn't mean I don't fear certain things from day to day. And as I often say to people, I still somewhat fear the process of death. But the result of death is taken care of. The sting of death is ultimately done away with. I did my first funeral a couple weeks ago and I had the joy of knowing that the person who I was um, doing the funeral for knew the Lord and was in His presence. I can't imagine how people go to funerals without that assurance. Because if we're without Christ, Paul says, we're of all men most miserable. I will never have to be miserable again because he's my Lord and Savior, and he is risen. So, a certain medieval monk announced that he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. As the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lighted a candle and carried it to the crucifix. First of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns. Next, the two wounded hands. And then the marks of the spear wound. In the hush that fell, he blew out the candle and left the chancel. There is nothing else to say. That is the law of God. We sing, Behold his hands and sigh. rich wounds in beauty glorified. The cross was a heinous tool of torture and barbaric execution. Why is it beautiful to us? It's beautiful to us because at the cross our burdens rolled away. And now we can sing with hope every day because gone, gone my sins are all gone. I am so blessed that that is the case. And I hope that you are resting in that truth today. I don't know what the number is, but I wonder if we could sing um, He Lives. I'm pretty sure it's in this red hymnal.